0: Episode 28, with conceptual artist Hank Willis Thomas. Welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. I'm your host, Dario Calmis, an artist, writer, brand consultant, and generally curious fellow. And each week we bring you a conversation from the pool of black genius to inspire, engage, and help you unleash your own imagination. Today's episode is with conceptual artist Hank Willis-Thomas, hailing from the mean streets of Plainfield, New Jersey. That's a joke, by the way. Hank's body of work explores themes related to perspective, identity, commodity, media, and popular culture. Hank is one of the most celebrated artists of his generation. The son of musician and physicist Hank Thomas and artist, photographer, historian, curator, and educator Deborah Willis- One could say that art runs through Hank's veins. Growing up amongst the stacks of Harlem's Schomburg Library, where his mother served as curator of photographs and as exhibition coordinator, his exposure to the power of images began at an early age. He went on to study photography and Africana studies at New York University, and later received his Master's of Fine Arts in Photography at California College of the Arts, But it was the blunt force of family tragedy that spurred a turning point in his career. All of a sudden, the photographic frame could no longer contain everything he wanted to say. The execution-style murder of his cousin and best friend, Songa Willis, while visiting family over the holidays, ripped the Willis family apart, and an image he took of his grieving family became one of his signature works titled Priceless. Mimicking the popular MasterCard ads of the era, it crystallizes Hanks' artistic lens, the combined effects of consumerism, capitalism, advertising, and their effect on black life in America. His work has been exhibited the world over and is held in the permanent collections of the Museum of Modern Art, the Guggenheim, the Whitney Museum, the Brooklyn Museum. You get the idea. He's a recipient of the Gordon Parks Foundation Fellowship and the Guggenheim Fellowship amongst others, and holds honorary doctorates from the Maryland Institute of Art and the Institute for Doctoral Studies in the Visual Arts. In today's episode, we discuss the power images hold, the importance of family, and especially grandmothers, the illusion of separation, and the invention of race in the United States, this is one of those episodes that you'll want to listen to again and again. And if you find this content valuable, be sure to leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts and shout us out over on Instagram at Black Imagination. We love, love, love to hear from you. Now get ready for this powerful tete-a-tete with the artistic genius of Hank Willis Thomas. So, so first of all, Mr. Hank Willis Thomas, um, welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. We're so glad to have you. Um, Thank you. I'm super excited to hop into this conversation, and we've known each other, or at least known of each other, for a couple of years, but haven't really like
1: almost. I think almost ten. Yeah. No, no, like seven.
0: Yeah, but we haven't like sat down like no. mano a mano and like had a real conversation. So I'm really interested to hop in and and delve in a little bit more of your brain, which I find fascinating.
1: But we did get to share some magic on a dance floor in South Africa.
0: <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, we did. That was our that was our first real conversation, mm-hmm. um, and and I, it's it's one that I fully appreciate. I met a lot of people that night. And yeah. um and and, and people who, who I hold super dear. Um, but so Hank Willis Thomas, just tell us like a little bit of your own origin story. I mean, you've been practicing for for quite a while and there are things that people can Google if they want to know more, but from your from your mouth, like who's Hank Willis Thomas and how did he come to be?
1: I, I always keep it really simple. You know, I am Deb's son, my mother, <laughs> Deborah Willis, um, is an incredible human being, but also known as a art historian, photographic historian, photographer, um, and teacher. And um, I'm Deb's son. <laughs> um, I'm named after my dad, Hank Thomas, and um, oftentimes, I um, when I try to tell my dad about limitations of, it, of things in life, he'd say, well, but I'm Hank Thomas. So that should say that that should sum that up. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm uh, Ruth Willis's grandson. Um, and Ruth Willis is uh, 99 soon to be uh, year old African-American woman uh, living in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where she lived her entire life. Um, uh, a humble and powerful person who um, through a quiet reserve and fortitude um, has proven to be the strongest person that I've ever known to live
0: mm. Mm. Um, I thank you for that. I want to circle back to your grandmother um, but just like a couple of points. Like, where did you go to school? How did you discover that art was a path that you wanted to take?
1: Um, I went to school. Uh, Where did I go to school? Um, Did I go to... I I say that because... And I'm so bad at... Probably because I've done a lot of conversations. I'm just bad at answering questions the way that you should. Like... The fast way that I went to to NYU for photography and Africana studies. And then I went to California College of the Arts for um, photography with an MFA to get an MFA in photography and MA in visual and critical studies. Those kind of formal educational experiences were clearly defining. However, I think Living in my skin in the United States, and then being able to travel the world in this skin, in this gender, cisgender identity, um, has been um, my primary educational um, experience. You know, and I also have had the fortune of being having a lot of great relationships um, that have kind of molded me into um, a very uh, refined, thoughtful, yet still clumsy (laughs) um, person. Um, I've been witnessing a lot of people who feel that they need to have gone to art school or or gotten a certain degree from uh, a certain kind of school to feel that they their voice can count and matter and being a person who did go to those schools and Kind of, in some ways, lucked through them. Um, I I now am really imp- find it important to encourage people to um, follow a- and promote other forms of education that often aren't um, kind of as available oh, or recognized, I should say.
0: And and now, kind of having this this career looking back, would you, would you actually go to school? Like, would you actually go to school or would you like, eh?
1: Well, I went to school as my mom made me. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I went to school, like, my mom was like, I always wanted to go to NYU, you know? So it was like the generational, like, you know, guilt trip. that <laughs> You get to have the experience that I always wanted. <laughs> um, and so um, I would have...
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny um so i also know that you're a pisces right mm-hmm. and march I'm, 17th march 17th um is that oh it's not is that saint patrick's day yes it is party oh, time yeah and two two days after the ides of march so you're like a lot of a lot of energy um and you i'm a scorpio oh when's yeah? your birthday? November sixteenth? You dance like a Scorpio. (laughs) But well, actually, on the astrological chart, like Scorpio and Pisces are like, like bread and butter. But I think it really comes down to a a certain sensitivity, um, which I find you really have in spades. And it's something that I really admire about just your practice in general, because it is You know, you speak about your grandmother's quiet fortitude, but I find, at least for me on the outside, I find that in you as well. Like it it is definitely um, an energy of someone who is quietly looking. Nothing gets past you, but you're just quietly observing. Um, And so I want to just ask like, when you look, like when you're looking, what do you see? And how do you see?
1: Thank you for a, such a thoughtful question. I, I got into photography because I would always get in trouble for staring. And I was a very shy person. And uh, when you put a camera in front of your face, it was like, okay, now people, you know, they might make fun of the camera, but like, they're like, oh, that's your photographer. Gave So my first um, paper was, uh, well, one of my first essays, I should say, was talking about photography being a reason to stare, you know, uh, giving me a reason to stare. And it's also very likely because both of my parents have been really into photography and my grandfather, my mother's father was a photographer, amateur photographer, that there is like some form of a genetic connection to, 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 to to looking um, in as a form of like healing for me. Um, And what I look for visually is, is when I make an image, and I'm not good at it, what I look for is a moment of caress. And that can be literally with cars passing or (laughs) uh, a a human body, but there's like something that feels um, intimate. Now, because I so, so rarely can capture that in the narrow confines of a camera. <laughs> I, I, I've moved on <laughs> from taking uh, photographs because it is, there's also um, a patience that that requires. Um, and so many, having studied photography, going to school with so many great photographers, I, I realized um, that I, although I, I have a certain disability, I'm always looking for a lot of it. <laughs> so I'm, like, I'm looking for the moment, but I look for the moment. maybe it's over there, maybe it's over there, maybe it's over there. And so um, I've um, now I, th- I, I think about my looking as being more um, as not being related to actual and art making, but at my looking as being able to, uh, as a whole way of navigating the world. And what I always look for is connection. I I believe very deeply that we are all one. And that our um, conditioning that um, leads us to believe and sometimes see ourselves as different from others. is self-destructive. Mm-hmm. And so I often squint and try to see the matrix that connects us all and within my work, remind myself and others to look more closely at things that they think they already know in, in hopes of finding connection with themselves or a, or a perceived stranger.
0: Yes, I will say like even in doing research, um, you know, I, I had to c I had to confront mm, something even in myself that I felt in looking at your work, which was which that I resonate with as well, is almost almost kind of like a a haunted quality. Like there is there's a bit of a humor, um, but there's also a bit of a hauntedness. And and I think what I was seeing or feeling was like the other side of the illusion or maybe the revelation of the illusion, right? Kind of this feeling of, mm, I don't want to say it like this, but you've been duped, mm. right? Like this is actually not real. And so mm. I'm going to going to kind of deconstruct these elements and put them back together in front of you to show you that this actually, none of this is actually real and that you're just responding to like illusions, right? The illusion of, of separateness.
1: Right. Or the illusion of value makes you (laughs) feel less valuable or the illusion of um, the illusion that all life isn't suffering. (laughs) <laughs> like and that like all of us are not essentially going through the same cycle um mm. and and trying to overcome the same obstacles uh we all have um we all have the same ancestors and maybe the same ancestor <laughs> right so um when i talk about us all being one there are metaphysical elements of that that i'm 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 learning and and hoping to articulate in my work, but there is this other side of it that there is this ancestral intelligence that is in our DNA that like (laughs) we can't even, like I have memories in my body that are probably also in your body because of our ancestral connection. And we don't even know, (laughs) you know, they say that even in just within the African-American community, the average, you know, black American is seven or eight generations away from slavery. And by that time, um, I'm slavery in Africa, I should say, um, by that time you're made up of 128 different people mm. and the chances that those 128 different people were in the same place is zero, you know? So think about like a hundred and 200 years ago, there's a good chance that somebody walking around, um, that that's inside of you might have fell in love with somebody who's inside of me and if they did not you know make love they maybe shared a drink they maybe shared a chair maybe they um maybe they wore each other's clothes but they have each other any in each other we know now through covid how much uh, every breath actually does transform the other you know so we are all one you know And, and that the fact that we are all, the world is virtually all locked down because <laughs> we understand that if I breathe, you know, like when if when we are interacting with the world, we don't even we're not a, we're not conscious of how deeply interconnected we are with everyone else all over the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you and you spoke a little bit about um, you know uh, metaphysics, a uh, uh, spirituality. What what are some things that you have? learned and what are some things that you are wrestling with and do you have a spiritual practice
1: well my grandmother raised us baptist christian Uh, i i think that's always i think the rich foundation for me um i my stepmother one of my stepmothers um was a jewish buddhist (laughs) she referred to as a jubu And specifically practice the Soka Gakkai Nichiren Daishonin Nanyo kyo in the Tina Turner uh, Buddhism, and I I also spent a a small or decent amount of time investigating Mahayana Buddhism, um, which is like uh, Tibetan. But I'm and just like you know regular New Age. And, like, grew up watching MTV and, you know, American commodity, commodity culture, religion. You know, <laughs> some hodgepodge of, of uh, you know, behind the music and, <laughs> you know, church. Um, but uh I, I, but what I've um come to really understand, and this is what I'm saying, like, by just, I think a year ago, a little bit of a year ago, I was, like, going through some craziness. And my grandmother gave me some book. And it was like one of them books where, like, you know, I don't know if you have connection with your, you know, your your grandparents or any like, there's a generation of there's many generations of African Americans that if it weren't for the Bible, they, we would not be here. And my grandmother's not like, uh, as I said, she's very quiet. She doesn't, you know, doesn't virtually say anything. She's like, you should read this. I started reading. I said, like, wait, my grandmother's deep. Like it was like it was something it wasn't the Bible, but it was something that she reads that, you know, a supplementary thing. I was like, wait, and I started to recognize how sometimes we get so caught up into in the, the uh, pedagogy of religion that you actually miss the the deeper messages of it. And then don't see the connections to all the other, you know, Traditions, some organized and some disorganized. Um, but that has really helped me to, oh, it's opened my eyes to like all the stuff that I have blinders on to because I was told, don't look over there because that's the devil, or don't look over there because that's not smart, or don't, you know. And so now I am, I've been calling myself here, I've been uh, <laughs> thinking about this term instead of a person, you know of being a universe and
0: mm. mm-hmm. this,
1: this idea that like I'm of the universe and therefore all life and all elements are part of me and the, all information I come in contact with, it's up to me how I allow it to affect me or pass through me. Uh, but if I'm not resisting it, maybe I can actually exist with it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like I feel like so much of how I've been navigating the world and life is just like worlds happening to me. I gotta like do stuff. I gotta do stuff onto the world, and maybe I can be among um uh, life and among you know the spirit. When we talked about like how you were saying earlier, um uh, when we talked about being on the dance floor in South Africa and what that's five years ago, right? It was November 2016.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know why
1: we were dancing so hard? That wow. was, I think, three weeks after our president, our, our uh, Donald Trump, was elected. <laughs> and mm. We were like, <laughs> we were like, we're in Africa, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> we're like, we were a bunch of smart black people in Africa and Donald Trump is president. (laughs) That's a memorable, that's a memorable time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you're totally right. You're totally right.
1: I say that because like that when you, and and I'm sure in other parts of your life where you've been like in connection with other spirits in a nonverbal way. Mm -hmm. And I think we take for granted that whether even be politicians, like what's really moving us to vote, it's not what they're saying. It's about the connection that they can make with us through their aura. And I think we can do a lot more. I know I've seen you do it with your other work um, with your, um, and we as artists all do it, um, but I think if we actually really tap into it, what our strength is not what we do it's who we are and how comfortable we are with expressing that, um, that others will pick up on those antennas and start to move and flow with us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um thank you for for sharing that. I I'm I'm re- I'm tracking, right? I'm, tra- <laughs> I'm totally tracking. Um and you know, even as you speak, I think about you know that ability um or that that learning of of kind of I don't want to say dissolving the self. Um but kind of removing that boundary, that boundary between uh, what you see, and who's doing the seeing, and thinking that those are somehow separate, um, and realizing that that all exists in the same space, that all exists um, in a in a way at the same level of consciousness, because we are also co creating our reality. And once you realize that the world you find yourself in is also a co creation, right? That you are also a part of it it is not happening to you it is coming through you and and you are inseparable from it you know and that's that's that wake up that's that aha moment right Mm -hmm. when you really wake up from like 25 minutes of scrolling on instagram and then you're like oh wait and then you snap out of it right back into uh you know the what i find is the beauty that is actually just being alive and being able to you know experience the the repetitive miracles that we're walking through at all times, if you like let go of the story, if you let yeah. go of these of these stories, because even ourselves, our personalities, um, in a way are really a collection of stories that we continue to to tell ourselves at the most really. Um, but now I'm going like on some other shit. No, and
1: I- <laughs> look, okay, I don't know if anybody else is gonna follow us, but
0: you just made me go somewhere where I was like,
1: whoa uh, Think about it this way. What if you, you just made me realize that I have I am living I am actually living a separate life on social media. Meaning, like, literally, like, somewhere in that ether, like, there is a whole Hank identity that is out in the world that is not me <laughs> at all. And someone's scrolling through it, and they're like, yep, he's, this is this is Hank. This yeah. is, and I'm telling the world through these little segments of myself. That's so how I started thinking about, like, that movie Wreck-It Ralph or whatever, you know, where, like, inside, like, it's like a movie about, i never seen it, but it's like, video <laughs> ga- the characters inside video games start to have their own reality, their own identity. Mm. And I was thinking when you were talking, I was thinking about The Matrix, the movie, The Matrix, and like realizing that we're, when we're on social media, we are like those people plugged into this. Yeah, web, that when you put your phone down, you're actually stepping out of the matrix yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. so that
1: you can actually have your own life. But even when you unplug, the alternate you that's online is still living.
0: And people are still interacting with it and responding to it and having stories right, about it, which is kind of insane. But it's so interesting, even as you say that, it makes me think back to um, your photographic practice and you speaking about how you felt like you weren't able to capture everything that you wanted in an image. And I think that's why, right? Because you uh, kind of instinctively understood that what was captured in the frame wasn't it. It it did not capture the dimensionality of what it is you wanted to actually capture, um, and it's interesting because then your work really moves through to three D sculptural work, and then mm-hmm. not only that into <clears throat> you know scaled you know mass scale public work, right? Where you're not only creating work that people can interact with, but actually letting the dialogue itself be the art, letting the dialogue right. itself be. So, you know, so you've really just broken out of the frame. You, it, it wasn't necessarily about um, a lack of uh, ability. It was, uh, it, was, it was not being able to, well, it, I think it was just a really intimate understanding um, being, mm-hmm. being one Deb's son, but I think ultimately being Hank, um, mm-hmm. that it just wasn't as real as you want it to be. Right, you know, because there is always what's happening outside of the frame, right? Which is everything else. Which is like actually life. Yeah, like that's
1: like if you were like it was great. It's great to record it, but is is that better than being there?
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've I've
1: always loved one of the things I like more than the pictures. I love being on set. Sometimes when I'm on a shoot, just because all the stuff that people are doing to make it happened all these people and focusing their attention their energy their care uh their frustration into one little moment is it's fascinating and then often when a person is being photographed them trying to absorb that energy and then reflect something that is kind of complimentary is even more it's like i love that energy which you can never get when just rarely you can get it with the picture but you're really probably getting something else
0: yeah yeah, 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 yeah. No, for sure. And it, and and you know, I, even growing up being a photographer, I shouldn't say growing up because I kind of came into it late. But you know, looking at images, I would look at them and I'm like, what camera are they use it? What <laughs> what lens is that? Yeah. Not realizing. Oh no! It took fifty people to make this image. <laughs> like, it's, it's very exactly. different. It's actually very different. Um. So so anyway, so, so slight divergence. Um. You spoke about. Not only being Deb's son, which we will speak about, um, but your your grandmother Ruth, um, who you know you've spoken about, has been such an influence in your life. What are some of the most important lessons she's taught you? And and I kind of preface it with this thought and idea of the reverence for the grandmother. And the grandparent and the roles that grandmothers in particular have had, not only in the black community, but many communities at large. I mean, a lot of Mesoamerican cultures honor the abuela mm-hmm. as well. Um, but for you, like what were some of those lessons that your grandmother taught you and continue to teach you?
1: Well, it's it's hard because I don't think I I've, I've never been that good of a student.
0: <laughs>
1: right. And so she's 99 years old. And I'm just starting to pay attention, and Mm. I thought I was paying attention the first, you know, forty years. But you know, she and I'm not saying that she's the only one, but she is like a Jedi, you know, like you know those, you know, or even you know when they you look at the 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 you know martial arts masters and they don't look like they're the martial arts master because they don't have all the muscles, but they can just make a subtle thing and then everything falls apart or everything, you know, they can break something like, you know, flick of the finger. She just has this unshakable power, but it's so grounded in graciousness and and gentleness and love. Um, I don't, being raised and and living my life as a cis hetero man in America and even African-American man, I don't think Gentleness and kindness um, are things that like are well received or even th- thought of as authentic. <laughs> um, and now that I'm older, you know, I'm like, huh. Watching my grandmother and thinking about all the caricatures of you know old black women and her being like. Her sisters had a lot of personality (laughs) Um, but like she, they all listened to her and she barely said anything. And so I I really have been learning a a lot. You can't tell from this podcast (laughs) about the power of silence and how carefully chosen words can have a profound impact even even greater than a dissertation. I've learned that your resolve does not have to to be proven because it's (laughs) resolved. All right, so, um, and I've learned that you can, you can literally pray the hate away. I've, I've seen my grandmother fight cancer with prayer, but like, Fight, fight, an amputation with prayer, and, and I was looking at it like, I know you are close with Jesus, but you sure this is work?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and she was not talking to me; she was talking to God. <laughs> so she, you know, she I, um, made her own arrangements and. It's not that she did not go along and does not uh, work with, you know, modern medicine, but she also understands that that's never going to be enough uh, because how our perception of life, our perception of the world, our perception of our own bodies and what it can do, do does affect, you know, our own ability to, to heal. And, and so I, I, I really am hoping that as I grow older, that I can exhibit that same piece for others that she has exhibited for me and so many others
0: <clears throat> yeah um you know i think about um you know we, we were speaking earlier about like kind of like metaphysics and spiritual practices and things like that and you know i listen to tons of podcasts you know about like you know uh, you know, the law of attraction and meditation and all of these things. And even like science, right? Like neuroscience and things that sciences, um, scientists are discovering. And it's so interesting because just like your rereading of, of scripture or like this devotional or supplemental material that your grandmother, um, you know, offered you, I'm hearing all of the things that just inherently in the black church we grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my father's a pastor. I don't know if you know that. I um, know that. But like even, even even, just like the way in which you pray, right? Like you start off with like giving thanks, right? Like thank you for, you know, this life, whatever. And, you know, and then I have all these podcasts talking about like gratitude. It all starts with gratitude. Once you get yourself in the place of gratitude, that's the law of allowing. Yeah. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, we've been doing this for a while or, yeah. you know, when they talk about like, no, like, you know, the secret or whatever, it's like, you have to know, you have to imagine it as if it's already done as if right. it's, and I'm like, eh, we kind of been doing that. Like, doing that, that, yeah. you know, like that's, I mean, a lot of prayer, you know, you end, like it's already done, right? Like you've already right. um, accepted it. And I think if we're speaking about human evolution, I I think, I hope, I pray that that really is the next iteration, and I think perhaps um, um, the next iteration is really already here. But that development is really understanding um, the power that has always been present, right? Mm-hmm. Because science is is so necessary, but in a way, it's it's just un, it's just trying to understand what already is. Yeah, science versus, is trying
1: to c- catch up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus versus
0: yeah exactly yes versus the actual act of creation
1: yeah one thing is driving and one thing is trying to teach you how to drive or figure out how why how the car works you know
0: exactly exactly um and so kind of pivoting to your practice um you know, you said you are the son of Deb, and for those who do not know, that is Dr. Deborah Willis, um, who Hank earlier mentioned is all the things: <laughs> artist, um, writer, academic, for you know, photographer, uh, professor, mother, now grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks to to Hank and Jekko. Um But you know your your practice coming out of 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 college. Um there was something that was quite pivotal that happened, and this is the murder of your cousin, um Sangha Willis Thomas. If I'm am I correct? Sangha Thomas, oh, Thomas Willis. Oh Sangha Thomas yeah. Willis. Sangha Thomas Willis. Um uh-huh. who you were were quite close with. Um and you have a piece called Priceless, um, in which it's a photograph of your family at his funeral, um, and for those of you not familiar with, with MasterCard, there was this large MasterCard campaign that ran for years, um, and Hank really kind of turned it on its head and, you know, said like, you know, the cost of a, a new suit is like $250, a cost of uh, maybe a silk tie or something, I think it's like $80, um, new socks cost this, the, the, the price of picking out a casket for your son is priceless. Um, and it seemed like that was actually a, a pivot point in your own practice Um, could you speak a bit about that and what that really meant for you and how you saw the world maybe pre and post this experience
1: sure I mean when I talk about how I was a bad student my cousin Songa was um, not a straight A student but a much better student of my grandmother than I was and he would often call me, but man, your grandma was just so deep. You know, just sit down and listen to her. Just, just sit with her and just, and I feel like, you know, I, I didn't fully understand and I'm still, you know, trying to catch up, but he was a Jedi in his own way. And he, I mean, he, he could, um, he was aware of his power, you know? Um, he was especially aware of his power to enhance others' perceptions of themselves, you know, because we often walk around with a, a pretty poor perception of ourselves. And sometimes we, we're quite we, we we're looking for others to validate us to tell us that we're important that we're worthy. And um, Sangha was one of those people who really enjoyed Sharing the light, you know. Um, he talked about. I remember. For <laughs> period um, we were we were um, uh, sharing a room, and uh, in our twenties, and I came home. He was in his boxers, and he was like, <laughs> "I was like, what are you doing?" He's like, "Count my ones," and he had like he was a bartender, so he had a bunch of ones. <laughs> <So> he's like, <laughs> "He's like, I know they may not look like a, a lot of money, but." I'm the richest poor man alive, and it's this idea that, like, because uh, for him the tip wasn't about actually the money; it was about an acknowledgement from the customer of a, of a connection. You know, so if it was fifty cents or hundred dollars, it was that's not it was that's not what was really driving him. It was about a person willing you know, to, sh- to, to acknowledge that they shared something together. And uh, when he died at 27, he was um, shot um, after um, coming out of a nightclub in Philadelphia where he was only there visiting my grandmother for the holidays while his mother was away um, and ran into some friends from junior high school who were wearing jewelry that the friends were mugged over, but my cousin had nothing that was worth Taking apparently other than his life, and that was really um, like he had twenty dollars in his pocket when he died. They didn't take anything from him um, besides what they took from us, I guess. Um, and I was at the at his funeral, and I had studied photography, graduated two years earlier, and felt the need to document and record this, you know, really uh, powerful. And in you know, monumental event in our family's life. Uh, and no picture that I was going to take was going to make to say what it needed to say like I was you cannot feel the, the when I talk about the caress like the the, the hand of my uncle on, on my aunt's back, you know, or, or the feeling of my my grandmother's hand and her daughter's hand or um, some a flower in someone's hand as they put it on top of the casket. Um, the deep, you know, anger and and hopelessness and loss that we were feeling as we stroked our hearts. Um, none of that was going to be captured in a photograph uh, or the pain that the boys who chose to take his life were transmitting, you know, uh, from their own life experience uh, and I say that's the moment I stopped being a photographer in earnest because I could no longer um, really feel that a picture was doing what I had always wanted a picture to do. Um, and that led me on a very different path of self-discovery of global discovery of, of awakening in many ways um, about how our identities as marketed to us literally through, you know, advertising campaigns and uh, corporate agendas. Um, don't serve us <laughs> any more than um, anything else. <laughs> but we put so much power and weight on it. And, and I, I've then since been really interested in, in, in either uh, helping to reshape the the conversation about um, advertising and history and race and gender and class through popular culture um, techniques um, or um, trying to figure out how to play the game myself.
0: Um, (laughs) And and what was it... You know, you 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 you've mentioned caress a couple of times. Like, what? And 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 I'm assuming this is what you wanted the photograph to do, right? That you wanted it to caress. Like, what does caress mean? And what does it allow for?
1: Uh, the, and we're. It's funny. I don't really talk about my grandmother as much as I am today. But there's an incredible song by Bill Withers, Grandmom's Hands." You know, um, that. You know, he's. You know, he's, she used to give me a piece of candy. You know, you know. This 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 feeling that we, those of us who have had, you know, anyone who's loved us as as a child, but an older person, who just, when they touch you, you, I would say it, it, it feels like God. <laughs> that like you, that it's not like just when anybody touches you, it touches you and you feel, the life. You feel the, you know, in the wrinkles of their hand, you feel all of this other stuff, you know, that you can't, that you can't, you can't describe, you know? But there's those memories that I have as a child, I'm sure you did too, growing up in St. Louis, I have North Philadelphia where you're like, how do I, I want the world to feel that, you know? Um, I want the, and, what I, the photographs I love the most, and even though it's not the, ex, what I just say, it could be a, like there's a, uh, there's a picture of uh, Henri Andre latigue I think, I don't know, of, of a car. It's one of the first early examples of, uh, of uh, motion photography. And I, when I see that image, my heart flutters a little bit, the same way where I'm like, there's a, there's a, there's a divinity in it. Um, because I can feel the 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 ripples of time. You know, like that's what I'm talking about, caressing her. Like I can feel it as it as it um, as as my eyes kind of perceive the image.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's 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 the fabric of time. It's mm. it's it's the the substance that. That because because space time is you know is is another dimension is malleable is mm-hmm. bendable, um, that's I think maybe something like that yeah, right? That's like it. because because it's not just about touch, it's about a uh, it's about love and then it's also about transference and it's a transference of that it's a transference of of time and history uh in in one kind of point right the point where their skin touches yours so that's I uh, yeah mm-hmm. it kind of is all of that happening at one time um which is which is really rooted in love which I think is also something that comes up in your work time and time again particularly a lot of con- of your contemporary work um you know all power to all people mm-hmm. love over rules kind of baked into to that um and speaking about your work like what is and and also knowing that a lot of your work is in conversation with history um the archive what Mm -hmm. is your research project like uh, uh, sorry what is your research process like
1: well this goes back to my mother's um career where um she worked at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture uh, throughout my entire childhood. And I grew up playing in the the stacks, you know, so I didn't, I didn't know that I was surrounded by history that surrounded by artifacts that only love of self and love of community um, preserved, right, that as we know, if it were up to Western culture, there would be no Black history because um, they would prefer to pretend that we didn't exist, right, in, in any meaningful way. Um, and when I came of age and I realized that um, there were thousands, if not millions, literally millions, think about the Million Man March, Million Women March, millions of Black people in America who were collectively and intentionally carrying on the spirit of their, to them, lost ancestors. Um, I felt that, that we need as many people making those connections between the past, the present, um, so that future generations can know, you know. Can find their way back, and recognize that when they go back, they're right. They're still back. They're still exactly where they are, you know. So that uh, that's what I uh, why I've been interested in art because I didn't even know. I was like, I'm a kid. I'm playing with my GI Joes, watching Oprah, whatever things we're doing in the museum, and uh, then you know, you know, literally James Baldwin and County Cullen and you know, like the uh, Faith Ringgold and you know all of these. Audrey Lord, like, I'm like, I didn't even, I did not know, you know, when, when I saw sugar, Ray Leonard, like, I didn't know, you know, Nelson Mandela, I did not know uh, that I was being doused in, 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 in greatness, you know, that um, that was defiant, but I believe also productive productively defiant.
0: Uh, uh of the status quo yeah I I I also want to talk about um you, you mentioned actually I'm gonna I'm gonna read this. Um this is no this is like from ten years ago by the way. Something I wrote? <laughs> something you said. Right. Okay. <laughs> correct with it. correct me. Oh, pff, correct me if I'm wrong. Um so it was an article uh in New York Art Beat and you said, well, I like to be an expert, and the only thing I can be an expert on is the black male experience, from my experience. That is why it was a theme in my work for so long. You couldn't really top me on that one. And you were saying it really in response to not only your mother's work, but also just a lot of the artist's um, that she was in conversation with Carrie Mae Weems, Lorna Simpson, and you were like a lot of my work was to 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 speak to my specific experience, which I could speak to, and so I, I really just wanted to ask, what is the black male experience? What is what is this thing you you are the expert in?
1: Well, uh, thank you for asking. Yes. <laughs> so when Very I curious. wrote that, when I said that, was this an article with Melvin Marshall? Maybe I wonder. I remember where I was when I gave that article, when I when I I gave that interview, I should say I was downstairs at Jack Shaman gallery. Um, But um, I was working on a project that would be complete for, uh, I think, two more years, which was called Question Bridge Black Males. And that was an an investigation uh, into the heart of black male identity. And what we did is we asked African American men to ask and answer each other questions about their own identities, other things that they felt that that were different from one another or felt things that they felt like they needed another black man to answer. And when we did this, we did it because we wanted to show that there's as much diversity within any demographic as there is outside of it. And so it was called "Question Bridge Black Males," but it was also an escape from the uh, the constructed black male identity of American culture uh, through, you know, the self definition. Um, and what we came up with was like, you know, black men are, are people. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> <laughs> it took me about like eight years to figure that out, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, and I was I was gonna speak about Question Bridge, so I'm 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 glad that that was actually a precursor to it, um, because I found I mean it's actually a, a project that I'm working on as well, but it's also what we're doing here right now, which is is what I call the art of black men loving black men, um, right. being in conversation with each other. Um, outside of all of these other pressures and identity markers and, you know, all of these things, these performative, you know, these performative displays of, you know, masculinity or power dynamics. And it actually leads me into um, the harm where I should, I I don't want to, you know, I don't want to color it. But advertising, you know, a lot of, particularly of your early work, is really about advertising. Why advertising? And and what does advertising speak to?
1: Well, um, advertising is um, really designed in many ways to convince us that our lives are incomplete. And that if only we could attain or achieve or have access to this one thing, we would feel better and others would care more about us and like us more if, if uh, because of that. And there's nothing in the world that can be given externally that can make you feel better than you do right now. It might feel good for a moment. But if you, if you have, if you, if you dwell too much of it on it, it'll probably make you sick. Um, and what I have really been fascinated with is that the sickness of our of identity attachment, you know, and that when we get too attached to an identity that is not ours. Like any any identity that is given to you, even your name, is not yours. That is someone else's projection onto you. You can choose to accept it. You can choose not to. Any gender, like and so as so I really have been it's hard out here try yeah. to to love myself when I've not been given the tools or the respect or courtesy by society to even know and affirmatively look at myself you know and i identify and have lived my life as a straight black man right and i think about that quote from marlon riggs um an incredible filmmaker and queer activist who said black men loving black men is the most revolutionary act and i I've, I've always thought about that when i think that like i'm like i'm straight right so, when I love black men, is that like loving black men, or is it like loving black men? <laughs> and the fact that in my own, I'm not allowed to answer that own question that question for myself because of my attachment to straightness, you know, uh, and even gayness is, in my opinion, like that's not I don't think I don't think these are real things where like I have to choose a line where i'm i'm this, I'm that. And and, and and black is Black ain't um, and, uh, which is one of the incredible films by Marlon Riggs critiquing you know gender construction and, and identity construction that was really a really major influence of in a lot of my work like uh, and, and tongues untied like so um, I was living in San Francisco which where he where he was making a lot of this work. Um, but um, my project's um, branded and unbranded, Uh, a century of of, uh, unbranded reflection in black by corporate America, and unbranded, a century of white women are all really in this, in this tradition that comes out of that that uh, work of people like Marlon Riggs, like my mom's generation who were looking at our identity constructions and and peeling back the layers to try to get a a glimpse (laughs) at true freedom. um, Which is um Outside a
0: definition. Yeah, I um You know, in, in in thinking about identity, um you you've mentioned previously that you don't believe in like race, like you don't consider yourself black. I didn't say that okay what did you say <laughs> correct me get me together <laughs> yeah i got in
1: trouble with the shower when i said that i, like, I don't oh. believe in race because race is not real
0: yeah
1: like it's a fabric i'm brown for a fact <laughs> <laughs> i am brown i mean dogs might seem at a different shit they might actually think i'm black because you know i don't i don't see the world the way dogs do um uh, In the context of the United States. I am black Right because the United States does not is not capable of even acknowledging or seeing my the color of my skin much less um, My spirit, you know, so I I, my spirit. I'm a rainbow Uh, But Sunil Gupta a a, a black British artist who is of South Asian descent (laughs) uh talked a lot about this idea of blackness as in in the political moment of 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 uh identity and uh, awakening in 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 england and he says that you know, blackness is your relation is all about your relationship to power and i think we get tripped up in the you know the blacker than thou conversations because we because we've been trained, again, by you know who, <laughs> to love this specific identity that does not always serve us. It does sometimes, but uh, you know i'm I'm black and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: and, and and i'm I'm all African, <laughs> right. Well, am I? Who knows? Well, yeah, I know. But again, if everyone came from Africa, I'm all African. <laughs> so, I mean, so, so. but I do want to clarify that believing in, ra- not believing in race is not the same as not believing in racism. People get confused because, but I do believe in order to believe in race, you have to subscribe to racism because, you know, whiteness was created so that some people could feel better about themselves. That's the whole idea about whiteness. Like, if you think about race, it's like, we need to feel better about ourselves. So we're going to come up with this this, this game, right, where we're already winning. And you're not. And if you try, you can maybe get our approval. And that's not what we're going to give you today. <laughs> that's, or that's- ever. Yeah. But <laughs> but you can try No, but I think they're like, try again tomorrow, though. Try tomorrow. And no, sorry. <laughs> we did get a little bit closer. Now, you know, Greek people can be white. Yeah. Now, you know, Armenians the, could be white. The Irish. Now, yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're getting closer. You know, now if you're mixed, you could be, you know, a couple generations you might be white. You know, some North Africans could be white, you know. You know, if you're a rich enough African-American, you could be white, but don't mess up like OJ, <laughs> you know. Don't, but so my my, my real point is that, is that it's not that I do, it, it took me through all this discovery to realize that slavery only existed in the United States because they were a, of the corporate interests that were convincing uh, decent people that Africans weren't full human beings. And if it weren't for that lie, racism as we know it could not exist. African-Americans as we know them could not exist, right? So I really feel that my refutation of Western notions of race is part of uh, the, the infinite emancipation march that our, our ancestors embarked on when they left the continent.
0: And and to be clear although I was being provocative I <laughs> I I I understood personally like what you meant and to be I got in trouble I'm sure I can only imagine I can and you know what's interesting is you know you know releasing the story and the emotion about it you know that trouble that you got into which I'm slightly ignorant of but I can only imagine I was, has so you, a lot I was to talk. Has a lot to do with people's fealty to an identity. Oh. You know what I mean, and and it hits them, and 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 on either side, to be honest, right? When when I think people are confronted with um, just the term white supremacy um, mm-hmm. or white privilege, it it hits them also in a in a in a place of identity. Um, that they're so loyal to even subconsciously or unconsciously that they have a vis a very visceral, um, Jungian shadow, you know, undifferentiated shadow reaction to it, which mm-hmm. can kind of end up like, you know, storming the Capitol. I don't know. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> which, you know, a black man put that together though. Right.
0: Did you know that? I wouldn't be surprised. Ali,
1: oh, wait, what's the name? Um, Ali Akbar. That was his name. A black dude named Ali Akbar. He changed it to Alex Akbar. <laughs> really? <laughs> he organized the Stop the Steal protest. It was just it was like, see, they can't get away from us. You know Martin <laughs> Luther King, one of one of his daughters, granddaughter's uh, nieces, Bernice King started a tea party. Like black people, that's the thing. They can't get away from us. Even when they try to do movements
0: where, about getting rid of us, you still need black people. i can't um so 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 slight pivot i want to actually um reel back to um branded and unbranded but specifically branded um you know there's one image you have it's i believe it's called branded it's a 2004 it is a graphic image of a male's head with the nike swoosh Branded, branded into head, it. Yeah. yeah, branded head, that's what it's called, um, from 2004. And a lot of that body of work was speaking about not only um, how we're branded too, but then, at least at the time, um, how we also then brand ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. With uh, the labels that we put on, things like this. This is 2004 that this work was exhibited. It's now 2021. And so in thinking about the way in which art shifts in relation to, to culture um, and also kind of the the, the perspicacity or the almost um, prophetic. You just used the word. I don't even know what that means. Uh, perspicacity. perspicacity means like clear vision.
1: I didn't go to a general school. Yeah. Oh, so <laughs> How do you spell it?
0: Uh, per, like perspire, like perspic. Oh, uh, you said, how do you spell it? P-E-R. I see it,
1: perspicacity, perspicacity the quality of having a ready insight into things,
0: shrewdness. Okay. Um, so this perspicacity or like or this prof, prophetic right, vision, um, it's interesting because I looked back at that work and looking at 2021, and it's now we've gone, I shouldn't say we've gone past, but this idea of branding ourselves with labels to actually becoming the brand itself, That's what I wanted to get to. So -hmm. now in 2021, we are the brand. You know, I was Mm -hmm. looking at an article uh, just today. mm, I'll just say the New York Times, I'm going to lie. About... How Instagram, like the Instagram rules, like how you need to consistently post, how now it's all about reels. You need to post three to four reels a day. So like how technology is shifting the ways in which we view ourselves and to make us the brand itself. You know, how how do you feel about your work in conversation with where we are now? Like it was quite prescient. I mean, it was definitely speaking to the moment in which it was created, but now it also speaks to a different moment, Um, and then also now thinking about the president that just departed, um, Mm -hmm. who arrived really on the heels of his brand Mm -hmm. that he has been reinforcing for a very long time.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what company was founded in 2004? In February 2004? No? Close.
0: Mm -hmm. Facebook.
1: Yes, Facebook was founded in February 2004. So my perspicacity was actually <laughs> on full display.
0: Listen to you. You said you. You said you're a bad. You're you're bad at learning, bro. You're like already like turning that shit right around.
1: Thank you. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. So I mean, the fact, I think that I also I believe all artists are prophetic. You know, I say that because in order to make a work of art. You have to imagine, and then make real a future that 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 does not yet exist. Like that's all we do, is live in the future. <laughs> like nothing we do is about the past or about the the current moment. It's all about the future. And so, thank you for pointing out that 21 years ago, <laughs> me and Facebook were thinking together, <laughs> and I was like, you know, it's going to come a time where everyone's identity is going to be actually a marketing tool. And um, I thought a lot about that because also in 2004, I mean, I that's what I do, right? <laughs> so in July of 2004, a little known uh, state legislator from Chicago, Illinois, gave a speech at the Democratic National Convention and talked about not wanting red states or blue states and um, (laughs) had the middle name of Hussein. (laughs) And if anyone, no one could have imagined when they saw Barack Hussein Obama in 2004 that he would be the very next president of the United States. Right. And I think it had everything to do with branding. You know, he, he came of age in Chicago during the two, three peats of the bulls during Oprah's, you know, rising moment, you know, with Harold Washington, like where being black in Chicago was so much about transcending, you know, racial, geographic and financial boundaries through the stories you can tell the world about yourself. Um, and I think he took the best of Apple and Nike advertising campaign with a little help from Oprah.
0: And, and Shepard Fairey. Yeah,
1: but a brand, you yeah. know, that was the logo, right? Shepard gave, gave an artist, you know, literally that's what talk about artists being prophetic, you know? That logo, that hope poster became his logo, right? And um, he became a symbol of hope to the world and i i remember thinking in 2009 like when the republicans figure this out this is going to get really interesting <laughs> little did i know mm. that the very next president would have been a person working on his brand for 40 years and that his his name his his family's chosen name meant win. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like And, and it was a shiny gold symbol that means win. And that that after building a brand that strong for 40 years it's going to take a lot to actually blemish it, you know, and that's why he was able to get to do so much because he'd been convincing us for so long that no matter what you thought or really saw, he was winning. And if you were with him, you were winning. And so much like race, much like gender, um, much like religion, uh, the stories we tell ourselves and each other about what is real, what is valuable, and what is true, um, are the most precious commodity to, to human existence. And it actually has the potential power to destroy us, which white supremacy has been doing very good at as of late.
0: As of, as of late is, um, is interesting. I feel like it is, um, it's par for the course. I mean, if you understand biology and, 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 you know, speaking of virus, speaking about Corona, um, you know, it was only really a matter of time before, uh, these tentacles uh, reach the capital steps themselves um, to actually consume the host. So it was mm. really just, uh, you know, really path of least resistance, to be honest. Um, right. But, you know, I want to respect your time. Just a couple more questions. Um, speaking of, of of race and then um, symbolism, you know, I kind of wanted to just even make a comment about this idea of like how, how do we, how do we get past the illusion? Because, you know, as you said, you're brown as a fact, but you're seen as black, you know, most of the people who call themselves white, or we look at as white are definitely not white, Um, you know, it actually doesn't even exist in nature, these two things, Um, which means that these are symbols. These are stand-ins for something, actually. These are simulacrum. They are illusions. They are screens, right? Almost kind of like this Plato's cave kind of situation. How do we get past it? Because we are, I mean, even in advertising, right, we are emotionally reacting to ghosts, and so, how do we push past? Well, I think
1: I don't know if that's our job, or right? maybe can we? Yeah, I, I'm not sure that we need. I mean, I don't know if we need more. Um, I think our each and every life in each and every journey. Is our own um, revelation, and that's probably enough.
0: Okay, I'll take it. (laughs) Um, and you know, I th- I think, in a in a way, yes. Um, when I when I pull all the way back, right to thirty thousand feet, uh, yes, 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 yes. Um, but then also thinking about, you know, the practice of of at least constantly removing the veil, or just taking a moment to put your phone down and actually witness, witness the life that you're living versus reacting to the life you're living um, can at least at times dissolve dissolve the veil. Um, but you remember though, oh.
1: remember what happened last time people stopped, like when they, when they turned off sports, when they turned off like going outside and going to nightclubs and partying and social media got boring, what happened? we started seeing all of the injustice that happens on a regular basis. And there were uprisings, you know, that's why they keep us distracted because like, if you really see what's going on in life, you ain't going to be at home.
0: Yeah. 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 Julius Caesar said, give him bread and circus. I yeah. think it was Julius Caesar. I think. Uh, um well, which is interesting roman injury. you mm-hmm. really really so at the at the end, there was actually one other article, this is two thousand and seven so more recently um you say which is why I always tell people that race isn't real, it's a myth, a divide and conquer strategy to keep people bickering while other people exploit them. He smiles and adds much like sport um and it's interesting. I, we don't really have time to get into it today, but also just a lot of your work is in dialogue with sports, um, and mm-hmm. you know, is that do you watch a lot of sports? I have watched enough.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know. Okay. Um, so, so my last question, um, you know, I think in your work outside of the, the critique and the, um, the really helping us confront ourselves with ourselves, what's happening to us, and then also you know, our history, there is a level of optimism. There is like a hope for something that, you know, a place that we're going. Um, and so for you, what is the world that you imagine for the future? And Which future, how far are we going? Uh, let's say you have the power to do whatever you want to create the world, and it can be as far future as you deem it.: What
1: because it... like, you know the future would... <laughs> how, how good was thinking about the future to the dinosaurs?
0: Well, I mean that kind of presupposes, you know, there's a lot. Presuppose suppose
1: there were dinosaurs. True, true, true.
0: Well, and and that also <laughs> that they had the ability to to even perceive time, and that they could understand themselves, you know, in the present and also a future state. So that's tough. But maybe, maybe, maybe cavemen, maybe first bipedal hominid.
1: No, but nor could we,
0: right? Think about
1: dinosaurs lived for millions of years, millions of years ago. <laughs> so our concept of time isn't even a glint <laughs> in the in the actual time span, right? So well, when I think about the future, I mean, I don't know if I can even think past this moment, right? <laughs> like I hope uh, that my daughter loves me when she grows up and that I love myself too. And that my wife loves me too. Like that's my hope. Is like I want to. I've been saying in my lifespan, and uh, that I I want to be an old black man. My uncle Cecil Willis just died two days ago, at ninety-two years old. Um, a wonderful, amazing, beautiful, happy old black man. And. That seems like a lofty goal.
0: Okay, yeah, I think in in, in asking the question, um, this and this is good because maybe I need to, uh, you know, ask the question in a different way. Um, but really, kind of getting to the heart of, you are making work. You are building something in the hope that we as a people will see something, that the world could be something, that there is a place that we have yet to arrive to as a people. And, and so in asking, I'm, I'm really kind of getting to the heart of that. Like, what is it outside of, of, of your even lifespan, right? Because we don't really get to decide how long that is, what's the world you're pushing towards? Or or maybe you feel like what you're creating has no effect on the world.
1: I know it has an effect on the world. I don't know if I know what effect that is. And what I... I the reason I always take it back to me and my family is because if I can't have a positive impact on my family, I am really wondering how much of a positive impact I can have on the world. And even to have a positive impact on my family, that means I have to have a positive impact on myself. And so when I say that we're all one, when I'm making work, I'm as you, you're making the work, right? Because if I didn't, if you didn't experience it, it doesn't exist. To anybody who has not experienced my art, it does not exist. So anyone who has experienced it, they're a part of me. And I and my my deepest prayer is that we love ourselves, right? And that when we look at that work, whether it's something that's gritty and hard or something that is really beautiful or or, or really shiny, um, that we see them as puzzles in the met in the great like um, tapestry of our of uh, puzzle pieces in the tapestry of our like of our lives to like plug into this 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 uh um perception that i am amazing i mean that i being you <laughs> you're, you're you're amazing
0: but so and are I'm, you you are so amazing
1: well because we are yeah
0: all- uh, ooh, I, ooh. <laughs> exactly um well on that note, Hank, this was a really beautiful conversation, and I want to like take a moment to not only thank you but acknowledge you for you know continuing to to show up, um, continuing to provide um, us with portals of exploration that hopefully not only help you know dissolve. Um, Dissolve some some illusions, but provide uh, a level of access to to ourselves, uh, perhaps a self that we aren't so acquainted with, um, and then also acknowledge your constant pushing, um, even though maybe sometimes reluctantly, of yourself um, past past those. Uh, who who may seem to loom um, in a larger way you know your mother um, is incredible I call her the mother of us all she's mm. incredible um, okay. I would not be where I am without your mother so in that way okay. we are brothers um, and so thank you Deb but you are also Hank you are thank also you. Hank Willis Thomas and um And so your constant pursuit of yourself uh, through your work is something that not only I enjoy witnessing, but is a blessing and a gift for us and and will be a blessing and a gift for us past both your lifespan and mine. Um, And so I want to thank you and acknowledge you for that as well. Well,
1: thank you for making us both immortal tonight.
0: Hey, here we are it goes into the archive brother have a beautiful beautiful evening and we'll talk soon all right ciao. a future where my wife and children love me i know i pushed hank a little bit there at the end but ultimately if a loving family isn't included in your future what type of future would that be Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this content, please be sure to hit that subscribe button and follow us over on Instagram and Twitter at Black Imagination. Shout us out, leave us a comment, and share with someone you love. What illusions are you holding on to? Reality is all in your mind. Stay curious and keep dreaming.